0: Yeah. I encourage you to grab your Bibles if you would. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever uh, been making something, a meal, baking a cake or a pie or something like that? And as you got to the end of it, you were in a hurry, and you took a bite of it, and you realized there was a missing ingredient. There was something that I left out of that. Anybody ever do that Raise your hand if that's you. It's all, all over the room. I'll never forget my mother, when I was a kid, she was getting in a hurry making a blackberry cobbler. And um, it looked amazing. Took it out of the oven. It looked amazing. I could not wait to take a big bite of it. And when we did, we discovered that she had forgotten to put sugar in it. I mean, you face puckered. We knew exactly what was missing the moment we tasted it, and that, that ingredient was essential, right? Well, this morning, what we're gonna look at is the missing ingredient for a lot of believers' lives and a lot of churches. Uh, the missing ingredient of the Holy Spirit, the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul is gonna show us that this is one of the areas that many Christians um, were missing in our life is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Many churches are missing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we're just gonna jump right in. Ephesians chapter three, start reading in verse 14. If you're there, say the Bible is true. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Uh, Pastor Daniel last week uh, talked about listening to the prayer of his grandfather and how there's something about hearing the way someone prays for you that just shapes you and changes you. Well, Paul is opening up in this section of scripture his prayer journal, and he's letting us get a peek into how he's praying for the church at Ephesus. But not only is this his prayer for the church of Ephesus, this is his prayer for us. It should be our prayer for us. You see, what Paul is asking God to do for this church that he loves so dearly, by the way, Paul spent three years with this church. He spent more time with this church than any other church that he spent with in the New Testament. And he's getting on his knees, and he says, I'm praying and I'm begging that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, with proportion to the riches of his glory, that he might give the church strength through the Spirit. And then he goes on to show us what this means in verse 19 when he says that they might be filled with the fullness of God. So in essence, what Paul is praying for, for this church, is that they would experience the supernatural filling of the Holy Spirit. And he wanted them to know the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit in their life. And I think this is one of the missing ingredients in a lot of believers life. This is the missing ingredient for years in my life. This was the missing ingredient in our church for a long period of time. And why it is a necessity that we pursue the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul is praying for a church that seemingly has it all together. I mean, this is a church that he loves. This is a church that he has discipled and he's raised up the elders. I mean, no greater church planner in all of the Bible and all of history than the apostle Paul. And yet Paul, this great church of Ephesus, Paul is praying that they would receive more of the Holy Spirit. I mean, just think about what Paul has already said about them. Paul has said to them in chapter one, he says, you've been predestined by the father You've been redeemed by the Son. You've been sealed by the Spirit. In other words, this is a church that already has the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, you've got a reputation for having deep faith in Jesus and a great love for one another. So this is a church that has a reputation for, for walking in faith and walking in love. This is a great church. He says to them in chapter two, he says, you've been raised with Christ. You've been seated with Christ. You've been recreated with Christ. And then at at the end of chapter two, he tells them that you are now the family of God. So think about this for a moment. This is a heavyweight church. This is a church that Paul is confident in their identity in Christ. He knows that they know him and there's evidence of his activity in their life. And yet in chapter three, he says that this is what I'm praying for, that you would be strengthened by the power of the spirit that you might be filled with the fullness of God. And what we've got to understand as we listen to this prayer is this truth and this reality. There is more of the Holy Spirit that we need in our life and in our church. There's more of him that we need, that we need to be men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's truth number one I want you to write down, and really there's going to be one major truth today and then three applications, so this is the big idea of today, is just simply this, is that we, we must understand that pursuing the filling of the Holy Spirit in prayer <clears throat> is essential that pursuing the the filling of the Holy Spirit in prayer is essential. How do we know it's essential? It's essential because of all the things that Paul could have prayed for this church. That's a godly church. It's a growing church. It's a thriving church. And yet Paul is praying that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he understands that this is essential to their life. I I wanna show you why this is so essential. Why would he pray this? I want you to go back in verse 14 and see something real quick. Paul says this, He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father in prayer. So if we were to ask the question, why is Paul praying that this church be filled with the Holy Spirit? We don't have to look for the answer because Paul tells us. He says, for this reason, I'm praying this. I don't know what's happening here. Is that my microphone, Josh? How about that? That's better? All right. Thank you, Josh. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. What is the reason? Well, the reason, this is what I learned this week. I thought the reason was what he just said in chapter three, uh, the previous verse, verse 13. You know, he he walks through one through 13. I'm thinking for this reason, but it's not. I found out this week that Paul had a little bit of ADD. Anybody here ever have a train of thought and you're about to say something then another thought comes in and all of a sudden you start talking about that mid-sentence? Anybody confess to that in the room? So here, here's what I mean. So Paul says in verse 14, for this reason, but it's the second time he said for this reason. The first time is in verse one. And here's what most scholars say, that Paul is about to, to describe what he just described through 14 through 21 in verse one. So when he says for this reason, he's about to walk us through his prayer, but then the Holy Spirit gave him another thought. And for verses one through 13, he shares that thought. But in verse 14, he's coming back. That makes sense? So he's off track, verse 14, he's getting back on track, which means for this reason is not attached through to chapter three, verses one through 13, but rather back up in chapter two. So he's gonna show us the reason, if we go back in chapter two, we're gonna see why he's praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Look what he says in chapter two, verse 20. He's talking about the church here and the structure that what God is doing with the church of Jesus Christ. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together is growing into or grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now pause for a moment. Paul is helping us understand what God is doing with the church that the church has an intended purpose, that God is forming this thing called the body of Christ. Not buildings, not locations, but this thing made up of people called the body of Christ. And he is growing it, and he is putting us together, and he is building a holy temple. See, what is the significance with that? Well, the temple in the Old Testament was the dwelling place of God. It is where God's manifest presence lived among his people. But here's what he's doing now. Paul is saying now in Christ, God is building a new temple called the church, the new dwelling place of God. Now watch this. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. But in the New Testament, under the new covenant, God has a people for his temple. So that now God no longer dwells in a structure. He dwells in the hearts of the redeemed. And what God is doing with the church, he's not just giving individuals the gift of the Holy Spirit, but collectively as we individually are filled with the Holy Spirit, we collectively as the body of Christ are being built up into this dwelling place of God. He says it explicitly in verse 22. Look what he says. Verse 22, there we go. In him, you also are being built up together into, look at this, a dwelling place for God. How? By the Spirit. Now, notice what Paul is saying here. That God's primary work in redemption and what he's doing in the church is he's building a temple. Why? So that we can be a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Now, now put the two together. Now, notice what he does here. This is the purpose, dwelling place of God, built up into a temple. Verse 14, for this reason, I get on my knees and I pray and I'm asking that you would be filled with the fullness of God, that you would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because if the primary purpose of the church is to be a dwelling place of God, then it is essential that the Spirit of God fills us. It is essential that we walk in the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. A church without the presence of the Holy Spirit ceases to be a church because we are to be the dwelling place of God. That's the primary purpose. And so let me just confess to you, I think for a number of years, we got off track here in the beginnings, our, our focus and attention began to be diverted to other things other than this. And what happened is this, is that Jesus oftentimes will go, take us down uh, journeys and pathways where he gives us what we want to find out what we really need, Right? You ever had that in your life? God gives you what you want to show you that you really didn't need that, but you wanted it. Now you need this, but you recognize, well, you needed that all along, but you didn't want it all along, right? Well, so God took us down this pathway where we recognized that what we were chasing after was less than what Jesus wanted to give us. And he took us there, gave us that so we could realize that, hey, what we need is him. So for the last two and a half years, why have we been on the on the journey of prayer and seeking the presence of God and making this a priority for our church? Is because what we've recognized through that season is this: is that what we need is more of Him. We don't need more programs. We don't need more preaching. We don't need more singing. We need more of Him. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's where the life of victory is. It's the missing ingredient for the church. Why is it in America, we have churches on every street corner, but the America, American church is not making a dent in the culture. Why is that? It's because we're trying to reach the world with our programs and not power. And what we need is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is showing us here what it is we need. Now, notice this, you see, pursuing the filling of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Now, why in prayer? It's because that's the primary way by which we receive the filling of the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament. Notice what Paul does here. Paul recognizes they need this, so what does he do? For this reason, I bow my knees. Paul doesn't just write them a sermon. He doesn't make some new curriculum for them. What does he do? If he wants to see the church filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says there's one way for that to happen. That's through prayer. That's pursuing the presence of God in prayer. I was right here just for a second. I want to help you with prayer. And you've heard me say this, but this is huge. It's a breakthrough. The primary purpose of prayer is not taking your needs and wants to the Lord. That's what we've minimized prayer to. The primary purpose of prayer is to be with Jesus. It is to be in his presence. It is to receive more of him into our life. Now, does he answer prayers? Do we bring our petitions? Yes, we can come into the throne room of grace and find help in our time of need so I can bring my needs. But I'm bringing my needs because of the position and place that I am. The goal isn't just to send up these emails to God and saying, okay, some transaction here needs to happen. I got this problem, you got this answer. Could you send it my way? No, 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 prayer is actually entering into the throne room, communing with our creator. And in that place of communing with him, I get to offer my needs and burdens because it's his presence that I'm really after. And when I get that, it doesn't matter what happens after that, right? And this this is what Paul is saying. What we need is more of him. In 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 the New Testament, in the book of Acts specifically, every time you see an outpouring of the filling of the Holy Spirit, it happens through prayer. And I will go a step further, church. It happens in corporate prayer. Every great movement in the church, New Testament church, in the book of Acts happens in corporate prayer. This is why we have prioritized prayer on Wednesday nights here. It's because we recognize that there's a pattern you see in the New Testament that if a church is gonna experience a mighty movement of God, God's people pray together. There's not one major movement that God does in his church in the book of Acts that he, does not, that he does outside of a prayer meeting, not one. God's people coming together and pray. So that's why we do this, why? Because it's essential. You see, when something is essential, you prioritize it. How many of you, raise your hand if you're gonna eat something today, raise your hand. How many of you are gonna drink something today? I've got water right here, right? Uh, So let me ask you this question. What if your schedule gets, what if you get busy today? Like like what if your calendar gets filled up? Are you still gonna eat? Are you still gonna drink something today? Why, Why would you do that? Because you understand it's essential. So no matter what you've got going on, how busy you are, you understand. Like I'm not just drinking something or eating something because I have to or because I get to. I'm eating or drinking something because it's a necessity for my life. And so therefore, it doesn't matter how chaotic it gets, at some point, I gotta stop and I gotta grab some water and I gotta open up the cap or you know, take the cup and drink some of it. Why? Because this sustains me. It's essential, Therefore, no matter what's happening in your life, this gets elevated and, and gets prioritized. So listen, when, we, when prayer becomes essential to our life, here's what that means. It means that no matter how busy we are, how, how little time we have, it gets elevated to the level of necessity. I have to spend time with the Lord each day. I have to have more of the Holy Spirit in my life. We have to corporately gather. I've gotta make this a rhythm in my life. Why? Because this is not something I just get to do, although it is something we get to do. This is something that I, it's essential. It is a necessity for my spiritual life. Without it, we die. This is why Paul says, of all the things that I could ask for, this is it. Now, here's the question. What happens, what happens in a church when we begin to pray like this? Like, imagine that for a minute. Now, just, I mean, we we read the text, we just kind of look over it and we just kind of run through. Think about it. Paul is going, I'm getting on my knees and I'm begging the the God of the universe, the king of glory, in proportion to the riches of his glory, which by the way is limitless. So in proportion with limitless glory, that you may strengthen them with Power in the inner being through the Holy Spirit yes. that we might receive, watch this, the fullness of God. Yes. Now imagine what would happen Imagine what would happen if we begin to pray like this. If we begin to say, of all the things we could ask God to do for New Beginnings Baptist Church, we're not asking you to make us better people. We're not asking you to help us sin less. We're not asking you to help us have these ministries. We are after one thing. With proportion to the glory, riches of your glory, would you give us spiritual power, the fullness of who you are. Listen, what would happen in your family if this began to be your driving prayer? Here's the question. What would it look like? Here's the answer, Paul tells us. You ready? Let's jump in. Let me give you three applications here. What will happen when we begin to pursue God like this? Number one is we experience, we experience Christ's manifest presence in us. It's the first thing. We experience Christ's manifest presence in us. Look what he says, verse 17. Verse 17 says, he says, so that, so why is he praying for the power of the spirit, for the fullness of the spirit? Here's the purpose, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell. The idea of dwell here is the the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. The word dwell is a word that literally means to house or to take up residence in. Now we know we get the Spirit when we're saved. Like we, we receive the sealing and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're made alive in Christ on salvation. So why would Paul pray that believers who already have the Spirit would be full of the Spirit so that Christ could dwell in your heart because there is a difference between having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. What he is looking for is for Jesus to take up residence, to dwell, to move in, and to occupy their lives and their hearts. The word dwell here in the original language has the implication Uh, D.A. Carson, great theologian, says this. He says it has the implication of that of a king or someone in authority. So the word dwell is the idea of rule, a reign. So if you think about the White House, whenever we elect a president, they move out of wherever they live and they move in the White House. Why do they move in the White House? Because the White House represents the house of power, it's the house of authority. So the president who presides over the nation moves into the White House. We understand they're not just moving in there to sleep in Lincoln's bedroom. They're there because this is where the authority, the person who lives in the house has the authority and power. He's the one presiding over the nation. And here's the idea. When Christ dwells in our hearts, what Paul is saying, when the Spirit of God fills us, Christ sets up his throne in your life and he rules. What does it mean for for us to be full of the Holy Spirit? Here's simply what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. It means that Christ has assumed his rightful place on the throne of your life. It's that Christ has seated in his rightful place, on the throne of your life, which means in your house, called your life, he is calling every shot, every room, every closet, every cabinet, every corner belongs to him. And this is where transformation happens. This is, this is the missing agreement. Why, why are so many believers, like we want to overcome things, but they just seem we can't overcome things? And I'll tell you what it is in my life, and I think this is the heartbeat here. We don't like to relinquish control. We like sanctification as long as I can manage it. We like growing in Christ as long as I can remain in control. But the moment I relinquish control of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to go into closets and cabinets and corners that I don't want him in. And he goes in and says, no, 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 no. Oh, I don't want, you don't want me to go in there? I'm going to go there first. And so what we do is we shut him out. And here's what happens. Now, all of a sudden, we're dethroning The King of Glory from the King of our being on the throne of our life, and now we're trying to manage it ourselves. So wherever the Holy Spirit dwells, wherever God's presence dwells, He He intends to reign and rule. Manifest presence. Garden of Eden, for instance. The Garden of Eden, God's presence, Adam and Eve fellowship with God, right? They they lived in submission to Him, they fellowship with Him. God wasn't just in the garden. Watch this, God ruled over the garden. And the moment Adam and Eve committed high treason against God by rebelling against his commands, they no longer wanted him to reign in Eden. They wanted to reign in Eden. What happened? Now the presence of God was separated from humanity. No longer could they experience the manifest presence. When the Old Testament, we see the temple being established for God's people What was the significance of the temple? That's where God's presence would dwell, right? And so what did God say? I'm gonna fill this place. My manifest presence is gonna be among my people, but here are the conditions. You walk in my commandments, but when you walk in disobedience to me, I'm gonna withdraw my spirit from you. And we see this time and time and time again. God's people rebelling, God's spirit withdrawing. Why? Because where God reigns, where God's spirit dwells, he reigns. So as believers, we don't lose The Holy Spirit, when we sin or when we rebel against God, but here's what we do. We quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. It means that we grieve the Holy Spirit so when Paul says, I'm asking you to be filled with, with the supernatural power, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, so that Christ may dwell," What he's saying is that I want Christ to have free reign of your life, for your life to be without quenching his spirit, without grieving his spirit, that he would have complete control. So here's what that looks like. So as you enter into the presence of God and his spirit begins to fill you, he's going to go into the closets and the cabinets and the corners, and he's going to highlight things and he's going to begin to do a work of rearranging. And this is where we push back. This is why so many of us, we would like the idea of the fullness of the Spirit, but we don't really want it. Because we wanna be in control. Here's what we like. Think about our life as a house. We like great curb appeal. We like the hedges to be trimmed. We like the the flower beds to be weeded. We like the paint to look sharp. We like the, you know, everything is like, people can look at our life and go, oh man, they got it together. But inside, man, we're falling apart because left to the flesh, all we can do is manage the external. But on the inside, we're falling apart. But I love what Carson says, D.A. Carson says this, that when the Holy Spirit fills you, he takes up residence in your life, he becomes the one who occupies, which means he comes in and he takes the garbage out. He begins to rearrange the furniture and he begins to clean the closets. He begins to do this work because what he's doing, he's making a temple that is, or a house that, that, that is uh, habitable by him, that he can come in and live and it's made for him. So he has to have complete control. And this is how transformation happens in our uh, life. So here's number two. Number two is this. So the first is we experience Christ's manifest presence in us. Number two, this is what happens when we pursue God this way. We experience Christ's incomprehensible love for us. We experience Christ's incomprehensible love for us. Look what he says here. This is so good, so rich. Verse 17. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith That you being rooted and grounded in love, now being rooted and grounded in love is not your love for him, but his love for you. And this is where the problem is most of us start with our love for him when it has to start with his love for me. This is what Paul says the Holy Spirit wants to do. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. you hear what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying that you can know the love of Jesus without really knowing the love of Jesus. Here's what I mean. The word know here is not the word intellectual knowledge. It's a word that means experiential Intimacy. It's a word that when it talks about uh, Joseph and Mary's relationship, uh, you know, she was supernaturally impregnated by the, by the Holy Spirit. And it says that, uh, that Joseph did not know her until after she had given birth to Jesus. In other words, they didn't have sexual intimacy. It's the same word, No. So the idea is this, Paul is not saying that there's an informational knowledge. This is a relational, intimate awareness, an intimate knowledge, the love of Christ that uh, that, that surpasses knowledge. Now here's the thing that I want you to see. This is a question I've had to ask this week. How can we know, watch this, what is beyond knowledge? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In other words, Paul is saying to comprehend the incomprehensible. How does a person do that? Like, because I think in this room, I think for many of us in this room, if we were honest, here's what we would have to say. Like, if we were really just let our guard down, and I was to ask this question, "Does, does Jesus love you? You'd probably have an answer like, yes. How do you know? The Bible tells me so, right? Or you might just go through the verses verse of the Bible. John 3.16 tells me that Jesus loves me. Well, I can look at the, the resurrection and know that Jesus loves me. I can look at the gifts God's given. You could go through a long list and, and talk about intellectually the love of Jesus, and you could do that without feeling anything in your gut or heart. This is why you can have a worship service and there be two people in the same row, one of them is hands lifted, tears flowing, crying out to the Lord, and the other person is indifferent with their hands in their pocket, just kind of going, what in the world is their problem? (laughs) He loves us. I know he loves me. What's the difference? There's knowing, and then there's knowing. And what he's saying is this, is that there there, there has to be an inward work of the Holy Spirit. Go back to Verse 18. He says that you may have the strength to comprehend. So what he's saying is, is that the only way a person can truly know, like know, like intimate awareness, know the love of Christ, it is through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why he's saying, would you strengthen them with power? Well, what's gonna happen when they're strengthened with power of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is gonna give them the ability to comprehend the incomprehensible. It's like this, my, my, my dad said, said this to me earlier. He said, uh, uh, you know, they, they told us this for the last couple of years, now they have grandkids, uh, how much they love the grandkids. And, and I'm like, well, I mean, tell me about like How is that different between the love y'all have for us? He says, I can't explain it. He goes, well, one day you're gonna have a grandkid and you're gonna understand. In other words, right now I can't comprehend it. Although I could list the ways that my parents love my children but I can't comprehend until I experience it myself. And here is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit works inside of us in the secret places of our heart, and he's revealing to us the love that Christ has for us. And this is the beauty of surrender because the reason so many of us, we don't wanna surrender to the authority of King Jesus in our life is because we've had authority hurt us, right? And so we go, okay, so I don't, I don't know that I want to relinquish full control to him in our life, but here's what Christ does with his authority. When we surrender ourselves completely to him and he fills us, what he does is gives us a greater understanding of just how much he loves us. Do you want to know the love of Christ more than you do? Amen? Amen. Only through the filling of the Holy Spirit can you know that. He gives the strength to comprehend. And this is what then fuels the Christian life. You see, most of us are trying to white knuckle ourselves into obedience by mustering up our own love for him. I gotta love him more. I gotta love him more. What do you mean you gotta love him more? Well, I, gotta, I mean, I just fail all the time. I, gotta, I just gotta love him more than everything else. No, no, it's not about you loving him more. It's about you resting more deeply in his love for you. Second Corinthians 5, 14 says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Knowing this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What is Paul saying? He's like, man, I, if you think I'm a madman, I'm a madman because the love of Christ has absolutely taken a hold of my life. Not my love for him, his love for me. And now because of that, everything that I do is about him. This is why Paul says what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. How in the world does Paul go to this place of self-abandonment where he says it's no longer I but Christ, because the one who died for him, the one who loved him, has caused this to happen in his life. You realize that there's a love that you can understand that Jesus has for you that is revealed in his word that can only truly be comprehended when you 're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit so while one of my favorite pastors in America right now is a guy named Bill Elph he 's a retired pastor he still serves a number of ways he's out of Little Rock Arkansas and Bill is a mighty man of prayer, full of the Holy Spirit. And I love it because whether it's a one-on-one phone call that I have with him or whether him preaching to 2,500 people, there's, there's rarely ever a moment where Bill doesn't talk when he gets to talking about the love of Christ that isn't choke up. And his eyes fill with tears and he can barely get through it. This is a man that's been walking with Jesus for 60 years. And he still hasn't, he hasn't gotten over how much he is loved by, in fact, every time I see him, it's like he, he's got a deeper understanding of God's love for him that leads him to this place of just in awe of how much he's loved by God. And I want to be like that. I don't want to be the person that knows that Jesus loves me and just is indifferent to that. I wanna be the person that every day, I'm just like, God, I, I, don't want, I wanna know you more and I wanna know more of your love for me and every day you're just overwhelmed. That's who I wanna be. How do we become those type of people through the filling of the Holy Spirit? His presence in our life. Here's number three. So now we experience the incomprehensible love for us, we experience Christ's supernatural power in and through us. The supernatural power of Christ in and through through us, Look what he says in verse 20. I love this. This is a crescendo moment for Paul. He has got to the end of the praying part. Now he's telling him, this is what prayer can lead to in your life. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now notice this is a mouthful here. Paul is coming to the end of this. He says, listen, for this reason, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with power of the Spirit, be filled with the fullness of God so that you can experience the the manifest presence of Jesus in your life and you can experience his love for you so that his power can be released in your life. Look what he says. He's able to do far more abundantly. In the English language, um, it's hard to to describe what Paul is actually saying. This is like a a whole... um, list of words that are being pushed together to Paul is kind of, he's not overstating, but he's emphasizing. Does that make sense? So in the, in the, it might read like this, if we were to read it more literally, he doesn't say now to him who is able to do far more than we can comprehend, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say he can, he can do abundantly more than we can ask. He doesn't say that. He literally, if we were to translate it from the original text, it would say something like this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we could ask or imagine. In other words, Paul is trying to find a way to describe the indescribable greatness of God. He is saying, look, whatever you think he can do, he can do way more than that. He can do super abundantly beyond all that you can imagine. Now, this is massive because here's what Paul is saying. It is through the fullness of the Holy Spirit that we receive this. How do we know? He says this, according to the power at work within us. What power? It's the power he's praying for in verse 17, that we would be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we're full of the fullness of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, there is a power at work within us where he is able to do the impossible in our life. This is why this series is called In Him We Are. We're starting next week a new series in chapter four called In Him We Do. Now, why are we doing that? This is the bridge between the two series. You see, what Paul is saying here, we are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God. That's who we are. And when we're filled with the fullness of God, when the Holy Spirit fills us, he enables us to do everything he's called us to do. In chapter four, Paul is gonna change his tone. Everything in chapters one, two, and three, he is describing who we are. In chapter four, five, and six, he is describing what we do. But he ends chapter three by showing us how we do it. So all of the things, he's gonna talk about walking in holiness, walking in unity. He's gonna give instructions to wives. He's gonna give instructions to husbands. In chapter five, he's gonna talk to children and employees and employers. In chapter six, he's gonna show us how to stand strong in spiritual warfare. He's gonna show us what maturity in Christ looks like. And all of those things that God wants to do, listen, he is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask, but it's only according to the work of the power that's within us. Does that make sense? All of your doing, all of your doing in the Christian life, all of your doing is a byproduct of you being filled with the Holy Spirit. Doing is about being. You can't do the Christian life without being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why there's so many unhappy Christians. That's why we can't get our priorities in This is why sin keeps kicking our tail. This is why we can't overcome. The, because the Holy Spirit says, look, I, when I get inside, I'm gonna start rooting around in things. You're gonna forgive some people. You're gonna let some things go. You're gonna have to stop some things. We're gonna rearrange some stuff. And you gotta relinquish control. And as he does this, here's what happens. More and more and more the Holy Spirit occupies your life. And here's what happens. Then you're in, in, uh, fueled with a supernatural power. So that all of those things that he's wanting to do, it's no longer you doing them, it's him. and this is liberating the, the a couple of weeks ago we had pastors come in for our pastors prayer retreat and you know we've been on this journey for a couple of years and and we had 25 pastors come in and we got a chance to just to pray with them and share with them and talk with them and experience some things and one of the things that we were very quick to do at the very beginning of having those pastors in is we wanted to make very clearly you are not here to learn how to do prayer from us. As in fact, we said, said we're gonna answer questions, we're gonna try to help guide you, but here's the thing that we've gotta say in humility, and this was as genuine as as we could say it, we've gotta talk more about the brokenness of our church and, and me, the pastor, more than anything else because I can't tell you what we do without you understanding where we've been. Because when, you, when you're in that place of recognizing that there's this life that God's called me to live and I can't do it, and desperation sets in, there's a work that he does that when that work is done, that's what we still told these men, you can't come in this place, please don't come in this place and think that you're gonna look at new beginnings as the example. No, this is just a testimony of what God can do with broken people and broken pastors. When people get desperate enough for God, God shows up. So at the end of the day, no one gets glory for him. And we, we kind of described some of that. And then on Wednesday night, they came to the prayer meeting. And man, God moved in such a great way. He moved in power. And Thursday morning, we sat down with the pastors just for debriefing and began to ask, like, what was your experience like? Man, it was like one pastor after another, one guy stood up and he said, look, man, I've been in church my entire life. My dad was a pastor. And he said, I've never experienced anything like I experienced last night. It was the most powerful moment in church I've ever experienced. Another pastor said, I've never been prayed for more. I had people come and he said, he had people coming and just laying hands on him during service, praying over him. He said, I was just so overwhelmed at the freedom of the spirit. But the two that stuck out to me was one man, he said, look, when I walked into this room I knew that I was in the presence of the Lord. I knew it. And another man said this. He said, when I came in, I prayed. I said, God, would you show me what it looks like to really experience the manifest presence of God? Because he said, I don't know that I really understand it. And he said, there was a definitive moment. He said, when I walked in, I knew the Lord was here. He said, but about three songs in, we started singing about Jesus. and, And I recognized this and he highlighted it. He said, it felt like a wave washed over the entire room. Holy Spirit was just coming and moving. And he says, it wasn't a feeling that I have, it was an awareness that I had that God is in the room. And here's what's amazing. Several of these pastors came in and here was their confession on the way out. I came to this place broken. I came into this week and I was ready to quit, I was tired, I was done with ministry. And with tears in her eyes, they said, but I'm leaving full of the Holy Spirit, refreshed in the Lord, ready to go lead my church to pursue the presence of Jesus, one pastor after the other. And here's the point, the point is this, the only thing we offered these pastors was to come into the presence of the Lord. And God did the work. So I would say for you in this place, if you're tired as a husband, you're tired as a a mom, as a wife, are you exhausted as a Christian trying to go through all of this on your own? Listen, it could be that you're trying to do the Christian life rather than be filled with the Spirit, let Christ do it through you. There's a book I read a couple of years ago, called They Found the Secret, and it's the story of believer after believer after believer, great men and women of God that we write about in in books. Oswald Chambers, D.L. Moody, Andrew Murray, just great, mighty men and women of God. And here's what the the story tells about men and women who were just struggling through the Christian life with a great heart. I want to please the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. I just don't have the power until they came to the end of themselves and they realized what they needed was the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And their lives were forever changed when they realized they found that the missing ingredient was life in the spirit. So here's what we're gonna do. I wanna give us a couple of moments this morning. You say, I don't even know how to start with this journey. Here's, Here's how we start, just two ways. Number one, if you don't know that you're a Christian, if you're not certain if you're saved, then in a moment, we're gonna have decision encouragers. You're gonna come forward and tell one of these decision encouragers, hey, I need to know Christ. I need to, I need to come to know Christ or I have questions about becoming a Christian. If that's you, come. The second way we're gonna do this is those of you who know you're in Christ, here's what you're gonna do. You're just gonna pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do for you what Paul prayed that he would do for the church of Ephesus. Some of you are like, I don't even know how to pray that. Here would be my encouragement. Open up your Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter three, verse 14 and read it as a prayer. And just say, God, would you do this for me? And God, show me, is there anything in my life that would keep you from doing this in me? Is there any area of my life that's grieving you? And then listen, and if he tells you to do something, do it, that's how. So let's not make it complicated. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna practice this this morning, I'm gonna get you to stand on your feet. Stand on your feet, and and we're gonna have a moment. If, If you want to experience more of him in your life, let's begin this morning with this. Let's just ask him for it. Let's just ask him like Paul did. For you personally, for your family, for your church, starts with humility. So in a moment, When I pray, I'm gonna say amen. We're gonna open up this altar. You can kneel at your seat or you can come in and and pray at this altar. I would encourage you, find a place of humility and say, I don't know what prayer to pray. Ephesians chapter three, 14 through 21. Just open your Bible, get it on your phone, kneel before the Lord, read it as a prayer and then say, God, would you do this in me and show me what I'm lacking. Show me what sin is in my life. Show me what needs to change. Whatever it is and whatever he says, do it. And here's what I promise you. The Holy Spirit will begin to work in your life. He'll begin to fill you. And you'll experience more of him. If you need to receive him, come and talk to someone. If you want to be filled with him, come and pursue it. Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to you. Have your way in this place. We ask that you would fill us. Do this great work in Jesus' name.